So I'm gonna, I'll continue this topic. Uh, I try to do a series that kind of encapsulates different biblical themes that will just help you walk away with something that you can use in your life. Practical. I, I think when people come to church, they need to leave here with the practical, what can I do? How can I apply this to my life? And I think that's what makes Christianity so amazing. If you take one thing and try to practice it, you can see whether it works or not. And I found in my life, and many others in this room have found that when we apply some of the biblical principles, they work. They do awesome. And you can also see them on different TV shows, but they'll never use the Bible, uh, which is really cool. Okay, I'm talking about uh, when people are desiring or pursuing or but not sure but have many doubts about what it means to really have a relationship with God. Um, you know, as a minister, I want everyone I know or meet to become a Christian. But I can't make them believe. And when you're out there, you're hoping your friends become Christians, but you can't make them believe either. But I wish I could, but I can't. And sometimes what happens is that the reason why people don't believe is because there are actual real obstacles in their life. There are actual real challenges in their life. And that poses a pause. I'm not sure I want to do this. I know you've been inviting me to church for the last... 10 years of my life, but I have obstacles and I have questions, and they've gone unanswered. I don't know what to do. So, and then we, we also see people in our life, friends at, at work, who have this simple faith. Uh, maybe it's your family member, maybe it's, a, it's a, someone you know you've grown up with, and they have this peaceful response to tragedy. And you're like, what? I'd kill myself. And you think, I wish I could be that naive. Because you have real issues. And you have real unresolved issues and real questions. And you'd be, in your mind, you'd be like foolish to ignore, too naive to ignore them. And I get that. I've been a Christian 22 years and I had no aspirations to become a Christian. Zero. Um, but I, I stumbled onto something and I'm going to explain that in a few minutes. Uh, sometimes we see people suffer. We hear of things, of people suffering. We hear of this absolute tragedy. Every morning you wake up and you just thumb through the news, there's always a tragedy. You know, I read, you know, this morning four women were killed going to a wedding. They were at the bridal party. Drunk driver hit them. Four going to a wedding, dead. It's tragedy. How do you respond to that? I mean, they go, it blows your mind. But those are real issues. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a, his hypocrisy. You knew someone that says they're a Christian or this person, and then there's a scandal. Ah, Christianity. Ah, the Catholic Church. All, you know, religion in general. Maybe hypocrisy is the issue. Maybe it's the miracles. Two people in a garden, really? Snake? Tree? That's bizarre. That's weird. Is that real? Maybe it's just the Bible. It's so old. So ancient. Who's going to wear a head covering? Stuff like that. Other religions. Are you saying that Jesus is the only way? What? Maybe it's just your religious traditions. Does that mean my father and my grandmother were, might be wrong? These are some of the issues. That make us stumble and pause going, do I really want to pursue this? You know, I have a good friend who believes in God, but yet someone else is paying for the sins of the world. I don't know if I believe that. How can one guy take on everyone's sin? These are questions. 
And maybe I'm giving you some more questions. I'm sorry. (laughs) But I've talked to enough people where these are the real life questions. These are real life issues that I'm trying to present to you that it's real. And sometimes people become Christians once they are able to overcome an obstacle. And they do it, some do it just by getting more information. They do some research and go, ah, that answered my question. I can pursue this now. A question gets answered, but usually it doesn't. That's my experience. And more often than not, sometimes it's a tragedy that happens in their life that makes them open to God. Maybe their marriage is struggling. Uh, Maybe something happened and they're really seeking God because they're in a humble place. And they pursue God. I've seen that too. Sometimes people are just desperate. Is this all there is in the world? And they look up when they're desperate. And say, God, are you real? And lo and behold, a friend invites them to church. A friend says, hey, let's come over for dinner. And it's just like, wow, God just moved and worked. Or maybe it's you beginning to read the Bible for the first time. And the Bible is something that you're not familiar with, but you start to see, wow. Or maybe it's a Christian book. Or maybe you actually came to church. Maybe this is more than your first time visiting. And you came to church. You met some people. They seem real. They seem normal. They're not weirdos. You're going, hey, I can come back. That's very loving. I like this place. And for some unexplainable reasons, one day it dawns on you that God did send Jesus in the world. He did die for my sins. And then you're overcome with this emotion. Like, this is real. And you're joyful and you start believing and you get excited. And you can't explain why suddenly you believe and before you didn't. It just happens. That's why we can't make you believe. God does those things. God works powerfully in our lives. And these encounters, the, the, the large, the looming, overwhelming questions and obstacles, they don't necessarily vanish. They don't even get resolved. They just get smaller. Because something else gets larger. Guys, remember all the reasons why you didn't want to get married, guys? Look at all the fellas. Other other men in the house today? Yo, what's up, man? Norsemen? Calling all Norsemen. Men historically don't like church because they feel it's for sissies. Right? That's just a fact. Men avoid church because it's a woman's thing. Women like security and women like stability. And men are like, hey, man, are we going to go out and kill something? Men want risk. Men men, Men are men... And so all the men, remember the reasons why you didn't want to get married? Let me give you some. Because, you know, following God, it's personal. I don't want to give up my freedom. I want to go where I want. I want to do, I don't, I don't want chicken with nobody. If I want to take off, I take off. That's why, I don't, that's why I'm not getting married. That was a big one for me. I can go to the movies whenever I wanted to, alone. <laughs> No, nothing. Just do what I want. Some of the married guys are like, man, those are the good old days. <laughs> I don't want a commitment. What if I find someone else I really like? So it's just better not to do it. Just wait. Just I don't want a commitment. There's that one. What if someone else prettier comes along or makes you makes it more fun or likes to go hiking, likes to go shooting in the gun range? What if? What if? What if? What if? What if? And so we wait, and we wait. That's a pretty decent reason. Maybe she's too expensive. This may never, ever be resolved. This may never, ever get resolved. But it was an obstacle. And you realize in your first 
She ordered the, the king crab and steak. She went for the surf and turf. She didn't go for like, the water and the salad. You realize, Leon, she's not very frugal. Obstacle. I'm not sure about this. She may want a four carat versus a one carat. I'm not sure. Maybe he knew too many unhappy married people. I know too many people that are just unhappy and they are miserable. So that's why I don't want to get married. They're just unhappy. My neighbors don't like each other. My parents barely like each other. All my uncles are divorced anyway. Why should I get married? So these are real life obstacles that guys face when they're, you know, with a woman who have a relationship. Sometimes I'm just too young. You know, my dad had me when I was 21. I want to wait till I'm 40. You know, I waited until I was 27. Well, I wasn't trying, you know. Eventually, I was like, you know, once you, once you get too old, you're like, hey, I'm just going to stay single. But at 27, I, 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 was, I was a little older, but it's all right. I, I, you know, I had some of these things to work through. And, you know, and then, then along came Karen. And when Karen came along, these things got smaller. When Karen wasn't around, these things were very, very big. Here's, here's something that I want to show you. <laughs> Smaller. And I did not want to be alone. Became very, very bigger. Very, very bigger. So, we had a couple things I had to do. I had to, I had to go out and be a man that was willing to overcome obstacles... I'm going to use another microphone because my microphone is not working. Does this work? Good. Alone. I did not want to be alone, but then love got bigger. And it shrank all the other concerns and obstacles that we as men can have. That's the cool thing about life. Love and being alone shrank those issues. It didn't resolve most of them, but it shrank them. And if you married well, over time, some of those disappear. I don't want to be free. I like us. I enjoy it. It's good to be us. And there's still, there's still other things that create this smallness. But if you're unhappily, unhappily married, they can get big again. They can get big again. Love can grow and shrink them. If you've been divorced... You'll meet someone new, and it'll shrink them again. It'll shrink all your obstacles because something better and bigger is overwhelming you. But why is that? Because our objections are emotional, they're intellectual, and they're selfish by nature. And they're categorical, like women, girls, and marriage. Then you meet a real-life woman. You know, she's really, she's really, and she has, you know, you sense there's an attraction... And then your relationship with her or your desire to have a relationship with her, it grows. In fact, it overwhelms the information and the emotional arguments. That's what it does. Guys start changing. You get nicer. Freedom? Who wants freedom? I love you, baby. (laughs) Many of our obstacles to Christianity are intellectual, emotional, and categorical. How could God allow... Or, how could Jesus be the only way? Miracles, really? Ladies. All the ladies. That was a rap song back in the 80s. Back in the 80s. I almost went there, but... 
might date myself. You can make a good argument as to why you should have babies when you've never had them before. Every woman is scared. You've all heard scary stories about someone having a crazy birth. C-section. Whoa, they cut you how much? What do they take out of your belly? Possibly baby in the car or in your home? Can you afford it? Can we afford a baby? My body will never be the same again. These are arguments, right? These are obstacles. Did you overcome all those concerns before you got pregnant? No. You didn't. But the thought of the baby, the thought of holding something that grew inside of you, made those obstacles smaller and smaller and smaller, and you went forward. It's the same thing. And it's the same way with our relationship with God. You know, adults who come to a place where they believe that Jesus is the unique Son of God who died for our sins, and that the New Testament is a reliable ancient document, manuscript, that documents the words and works of Jesus, don't usually get there by working through their obstacles. They get there by shrinking them. Actually, they don't shrink. Generally, something else does. And so I want to take a look at a passage in the Bible to show you how an obstacle shrinks when there's an encounter with God. And it's in your Bibles in John chapter 1. And there's an interesting story here. Interesting story. In John chapter 1, Jesus is beginning His ministry and He's picking people to follow Him. And so He's going around after He's met these guys. He's built a relationship with them. He's calling them to follow Him. But one of the followers calls someone that Jesus doesn't know. Or He hasn't met Jesus yet. So the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. That's the north, that's north of Jerusalem. Finding Philip, He said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda, or Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You know, you can tell he's excited. He's thrilled. Sounds like your Christian friend, huh? You gotta come to church. You gotta see our band. You gotta see me sing. We have cool groups. We got a legends. You have a fifth grader? We have a fifth grade group. Come. It's cool. Please come. And so the response of Nathaniel is Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Obstacle. The obstacle was Nazareth? Let me give you, let me give you an analogy. Needles, California? <laughs> North of Barstow? Is the someone found the cure for cancer in Needles? In Barstow? Can anything good come from Barstow? Maybe a gas station on the way to Vegas. Maybe. You, we certainly don't eat in Barstow. Because you don't know what you're going to eat there. Nazareth? 
was a town like that. And you're saying the Son of God is from Nazareth? The Savior of the world? The, the guy that the prophets and law and Moses wrote about? You're telling me he's from Nazareth? That's an obstacle. That's a problem for me. You see, there was the same obstacles to follow Jesus. How can the Messiah come from Nazareth? Wasn't he supposed to be from Bethlehem? Of course, he was born there, but he was raised here. Maybe Nathaniel didn't realize that. But there was an obstacle. And Nazareth was the problem. And Nathaniel, he could not pretend and he could not fake it. And he was not self deceived. He's the kind of guy that will tell you like it is. He's a true Israelite. And Philip didn't address Nathaniel's question. Because they have, might have never resolved that issue, ever. He doesn't address, well, you know, you see, maybe he was born and, and you know, he, he doesn't even go there. Because sometimes you can't resolve that obstacle. What, what he does is, he says, come and see. He leverages the relationship, hey, come and see. Come to church. Come do a Bible study with me. Come and see. Let's not focus on that obstacle because we can argue that all day long. Let's come and see. And so, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Here is a guy Jesus says, who is not going to pretend. He's not going to be easily faked out. He's honest. This is their first interaction. Jesus and Nathaniel. Nathaniel was stuck on Nazareth, but he got leverage. They come and see for yourself. He has this interaction. And then, how do you know me? How do you know me? Asked Nathaniel. Here we see the contrast that explains how obstacles shrink. It's not information. It's the relationship. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. I was hung up on Nazareth. I'm not sure how the Messiah can be from Nazareth, but that just got a lot smaller. Because he had an interaction with God. And you may not have that physical interaction, but God is doing something to you right now. And it will dawn on you that God is real and your obstacles will become smaller. And over time, maybe you resolve some of those obstacles, and maybe you won't. But when you focus on God, it stays big. I love resolving those little obstacles. Me, I always pursue them and find out, oh, that's right, it's so true. Even after 20 years, I go, mm, I knew it was true. There was a guy in Jesus' group named Thomas. And he had an obstacle. Jesus had died, and he said he was going to raise again, but he hadn't seen him for three days, so I thought, he didn't make it. He didn't rise. He's dead. He didn't do it, and he started doubting. 
And everybody else got to saw Jesus come back, and he wasn't in the room. Because he ran away, and when he came back, it was, hey, well, I heard Jesus. He was gone. He left. But all the other guys were like, no, Jesus came back. We actually saw him back from the dead. He goes, nope, 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 nope. Don't believe it. Don't believe you. Obstacle. I got to see it for myself. And so Jesus comes back. And he presents himself to Thomas. And Thomas still is like, no, nope, nope, you're not Jesus. He's like, look at my wounds. Look. Look at my side where they stab me with the spear. Touch me. Even Jesus started eating food like... And then, G- then Thomas says his famous words. He says, My Lord and my God. Obstacles shrink. Your obstacles will shrink not because of information, but because God has overwhelmed you with love and trust and seeking you in this relationship. Your obstacle is not unique to you. And I'm sure you know that. But chances are information is not going to get you there. God has invited all of us into this relationship with Him. Not a category. But a relationship that's characterized by trust. By love. Not simply just by understanding. I always tell people this when I encounter them. If you're looking for God... And if you seek Him with all of your heart, you will find Him. I guarantee that. If you seek God with all your heart, you will find Him. Because one day Jesus answered this question, and it was a very important question. On what's the best thing a person can do to please God? And Jesus wrote this, He said this, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. I don't know if order was important in his mind, but what stuck out to me was heart, soul, and mind. Relationships are heart and soul, and then the mind. You know, I didn't fall in love with Karen because, well, informationally she's attractive. No, no, it wasn't information. It was her heart. It was her soul. It was that she was a caring person. That she loved God and she loved people. That was the that was what made it so big and overwhelmed the other things. It wasn't information. So what he wants to you to know is he wants you to know him and not get stuck on Nazareth. Not get stuck on the obstacles. What if you began praying that I want to know God more? then I want to know the answers to my questions. What if you started praying about that? And God's love doesn't always remove obstacles. Because you follow God, it doesn't mean you'll never get cancer. It'll never mean your, your family won't die tragically. It doesn't mean that. But that's some of the obstacles we put in front of us that prevent us from pursuing God. There's not a magic pill. It's called life. But there is an afterlife. So, the miracles, is that real? Two naked people in a garden and a snake? The Bible? The dinosaurs? Hypocrites? Weirdos? When God gets bigger, those things get smaller. Because this is personal. And it's personal for you, and it's personal for God.
That concludes our, our, our story for this morning. C- concludes our service. Thanks for coming out. Have a great, great afternoon. Thank you so much.